Good afternoon, fellow Gooners, and welcome to another episode of Canon Talk. I'm your host, Mona, and my co-host as usual, Aiden. Good evening, guys. Hope you all are well. Lots to chat about. Let's head straight to Wembley. Yeah, the big uh, semi-final showdown. Um, Arteta made five changes. Uh, Cedric, Holding, Torreira, Saka, Nelson uh, fell out. In came Bellerin, Mustafi, Ceballos, Enzo Maitland-Niles, and Aubameyang. What was your thoughts on the lineup as well as the tactics planned for the fixture? Lineup was, um, you know, a bit surprised by one inclusion. I think it was Ainsley Maitland-Niles. I didn't quite expect him to start, but when I remember I still like everybody else was surprised by it and I must give you a big like you know nod like the way you managed to figure out what Arteta was doing because I still I sent you the lineup and I'm like Ainsley Maitland-Niles on the left and then you were like yeah probably to nullify Marius cutting in so kudos on that and it seemed like you know Arteta was going a similar plan to that he did against Liverpool but, you know, you could see Arsenal's intent from the get-go was just to remain disciplined and not, you know, leave too many gaps. And as, or not as, as I even said, as we both discussed, we, we thought the plan would be to frustrate because, look, since it came off kind of, per, or played off kind of perfect versus Liverpool, and then to see it, you know, being put into practice again. And, I mean, we already saw from the get-go, you know, when the game kicked off, uh, it's an early chance for David Silva, but at that point, we were also giving up the sort of position, almost like we all men's uh, all, all ends to the pump defensively, and almost like letting them go, like, here's the ball, do something with it. It, it, it was really strange to see, and I was watching this game, you know, with, with my cousin and, and my girlfriend, and I was telling both of them that it's strange to see Arsenal giving up so much position, yeah. as you never really see... Arsenal do something like that. Arsenal's normally that wants to go toe-to-toe, you know. They may be a light heavyweight, but they want to go toe-to-toe with the heavyweight. And sometimes they can get knocked out. But what they did in this game was actually, you know, realised what their strengths and weaknesses were, knew what City's strengths and weaknesses were, and kind of played on that. And it was really good to see a different side of Arsenal in the Liverpool game and even against City. Because, to be honest, you know, I was feeling the worst. Look, we even had, like, if you think of it, we also did have like a heart-stopping moment when Mustafi was <laughs> caught, you know, with a short goalkeeper ball in position. I mean, I first thought to myself, okay, fine, you you kind of drew the, the, the sort of, not, I wouldn't say drew the challenge, but drew the players onto you. And now, of course, you know, the release or just belt up the field. And the more he, he seemed to get closer to the dead ball line, he was just getting himself in more and more of a pickle. And by the time you saw again, he just got nudged off the ball. Ball gets uh, ball gets played square, and I mean it was a a, a cracked goal, and I think Jaka Jaka just saved the ball off the line. I think there was a whole, like a not an argument, but you could see people were like shouting at each other, like "Come on, like you know you can't be doing things like this." It wasn't those aggravating, you know, argumentative things, but you know you could see Jaka. I think it was Jaka or, or somebody in the back line said to like Mustafi, like you know. None of that cut that out. And then 17th minute, finally, Arsenal start kind of waking up. Uh, perfect ball played through. Aubameyang gets onto it. But instead of picking one of the corners, he ends up smashing it straight at the advancing Edison. 
I, I thought that was, you know, that that, that uh, I know it's a bit negative. I thought, you know, flip, you know, he's was at our charge. Yes. Our charge. <laughs> yes, I also thought, uh, you know, there's another one golden opportunity we're probably going to get from them, and he's actually fluffed, you know, our main man. And then, uh, like two minutes later, you see Pepe on the wing, floats a perfect ball, and then Aubameyang pops up with the most audacious finish. It reminded me of. You know, the early days of Ian Wright at Arsenal where he used to make little finishes like that with the outside of his foot as he's falling backwards. One or Arsenal. Oh, like for me, you know, we made about, I think it was 18 passes for that goal. To be honest, I never realised that. Me too. I was celebrating the goal and, and, and like I was getting very nervous when we were passing on in our box. I'm like, why are you doing this? Kick the ball out. Why are you passing? And it was, you know, it worked out at the end, you know, the cool, calm heads passing the ball around. So... <laughs> You know, it was it was a good goal, and at that point, I'm also even more anxious now. I'm thinking, did we just anger Man City? Yeah. <laughs> I always remember you saying, or oh, you telling me, you know, there's like the biggest mistake when you score early against Man City because you know they're gonna pummel you for the rest of the game. But and you know, at roughly it was like that because there was a period of I think easily ten minutes where it was non-stop action just at our goal, where they were just you know slick passing. It was just us at times desperately clearing the ball up the field. But that being said, you could also see those long balls being played. You know, the, when when they would move the ball up the field, it would be something like, you know, there you go, fetch the ball. Now you can start again. And slowly but surely, look, as we now will uh, transition into the second half as well with the podcast, you could actually see it was starting to frustrate because every time Garcia and Laporte had to go back to Edison and let him... Because, look, Edison, at times he was doing that tactical kicking, but most of the time he was, like, laying it off to Laporte and to let him start the move for Man City. But every time you could see it was getting frustrated because they were moving in this blue, almost like a blue wave towards our goal. Uh, and then when, when, when Socrates... Uh, sorry, sorry, I'm just thinking of Socrates now for some reason. But Mustafi and, and David Lewis, you know, just kept belting it up the field for them. Yeah, it, it, it's something that normally us as Arsenal fans were used to, you know, being on the receiving end of when you start the move and the ball gets booted out. So, and I, I love the gritty defence that we were, were doing, diving in front of the ball, you know, putting the body on the line. It's something that we haven't been accustomed to, to Arsenal players in a long time. Like, a perfect example, you know, Xhaka putting his body on the line in this game. If we go back to Old Trafford against Man United when he ducked out of the way, for, you know, a goal that they scored. It just showed the difference of what a manager can make in playing for a manager. And then, I mean, 29th minute, Bellerin this time makes the error. He almost like caught in two minds, whether to pass or play a ball crossfield. Ends up just playing the ball straight to Gabriel Jesus, who intercepts, plays in Kevin De Bruyne. And, you know, it's the, almost like the point where I'm trying to brace myself, knowing you're, gonna, you're waiting for that net to bounce, but... As as he lets rip, Xhaka again throws his body on the line, makes a perfect block. Yeah, that that I actually looked for, was waiting with a net to bulge because you know <laughs> the brain shots is is so lethal, and uh, I was a bit stressed on the right hand side of Arsenal because Mustafi and Bellerin were you know seemed very cautious and it seemed like their confidence was very low at one stage in the game. And I mean, fortieth minute as we're not closing in on half time. Quick Arsenal corner, the ball is played perfectly onto Mustafi's head. He's glancing header, you know, out of the blue. 
careers into the uh, towards the Man City goal, but I mean Edison pulls a fantastic save to keep it at zero zero. Um, 1-0, sorry. 1-0, yeah, it would have been lovely to, and the nerves to go in at halftime at 2-0 up, but, you know, you, you take that one goal up and, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, what is Arteta going to say to Arsenal? Because Pep is probably going to um, rally his troops, but I guess, you know, where Arteta had the edge was, he probably knew what Pep would have said to yeah. the guys at halftime. And on the second half, they come out, City immediately, you know, coming on the front foot, 54th minute, Morrison has a, a pop at goal. A fantastic instinctive save by Martinez. I mean, I was just telling my kids, and, and I think my, my wife was watching with me, I said, this is where you can also see, besides your goal, your extensive goalkeeper training and that, that you have, that, you know, that these guys get. But it, it also shows you the the, the, the advantage of having like top-range goalkeeper gloves as well, because it, it's almost like that ball just stuck. I mean, look, Martinez does have huge hands, but I mean, that ball was, was hit with so much power for him to just manage to like put a, a big palm on, on the top of the ball. It almost like sticks to the glove. And for him to recover to, you know, uh, jump himself onto the ball to protect it from the onrushing uh, Sterling. Yeah, that that was a very t- a turning point in the game. I mean, if that went in, you know, set the tails up and you don't know what's Arsenal's mindset. So, Crucial save by Martinez, and uh, he just seems to growing, keep on growing in stature from game to game. Yeah, and in 61st minute, Kevin De Bruyne then comes close with a free kick. Of course, my heart did, I think, stop for a few seconds when I saw <laughs> net moving, and then only realised that the ball was touching the outside of the, of the side. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was saying when, when he got that free kick in that range, I'm like, oh, this is as good as giving him a penalty. But you know, when, when I had actually, uh, look, I mean, I know... Everybody was saying, um, you know, that could have now nestled in the back of the net if it now, you know, aimed at a few inches towards the inside of the post. But, you know, when you saw the view from within the goal, Martin has actually had it covered because that his palm was, like, opened up as he was diving full stretch. And he was looking like he was going to cover, like, to palm it away for a corner. So, I mean, props to him as well for also reading that danger. Yeah, but you could feel, like, City was turning up the heat and you know knocking, our, knocking on the door. Uh, we all got nervous and I was like thinking, oh shit, it was when City Arsenal got a goalkeeper kick and it was still quite I think sixtieth minute or sixty fifth minute or something. And then David Silva still went to go and fetch the ball to go put it on the goal kick spot and I was thinking, geez, these guys are eager to get the equalizer. Then of course a, a big scale for Arsenal sixty third minute Sterling goes running into the Arsenal box, Mustafi goes in for attack. <laughs> and I think he just manages to get uh, a few studs onto the ball ahead of, of Sterling. And I think the follow-through leg kind of knocked against Sterling, who, of course, went down theatrically. But I think VAR also picked up. Sterling was already going or throwing himself towards the ground before Mustafi even came for the tackle. So I think VAR immediately said, okay, look, we're not going to be conned here for this. Yeah, that Arsenal's been on the bad side of VAR too many times, so I was a bit hot in my throat in thinking, you know, is this moment can actually be given as a penalty. And then, you know, big, big moment for Arsenal and Arsenal fans, 71st minute. Man City gets the corner, it gets palmed out, I think, by punch up by Martinez. Arsenal immediately spring on the counter-attack. Uh, Tierney gets the ball, plays it quite, you know, hard and, and, and a short, sharp pass to... Pepe, Pepe draws, I think, about two or three uh, Man City players towards him. Lays off the ball. In that time, he's laying off the ball. Aubameyang is already 
gesturing to Tierney that he's going to make the run. Tierney, of course, dings a perfect ball over, and it's almost like a Henri masterclass as Aubameyang races towards the Man City goal and he just shoves the ball between Edison's legs. 2-0 Arsenal. Oh, Top-class goal and a lot of pundits, uh, yeah, you know, made a big fuss of that goal. Aubameyang's like the presence of mind to look up and yeah. see if there's anybody in a better position than he is before, you know, slotting it between Edison's legs. You know, you got to wonder why it's also a tactic to, you know, look that yeah. way to make Edison... The old Cesc move of that giving him the eyes, because I think, because you already saw what he had in mind, you know, I, I mean, look, Aubameyang is somebody that can be quite unselfish with a ball. <coughs> I think there, he knew already where and what he's going to do with it, but I think it's just that, you know, getting the head up and looking sideways, I think that kind of put Edison a bit off as well. Yeah, 2-0, and you still, at, like, where you see Man City's strength is at 2-0, I still felt nervous as an Arsenal fan. Then, of course, Arsenal, they started ringing the changes. Pepe came off, Willow came on, uh, then 78-minute Lacazette came off, Torreira came on, so you can see Arteta's kind of trying to close up shop again. Laporta then came close in the 83rd minute, although I did worry again, because... I heard some rattle, and I thought it was first the post, but then I only saw that, uh, that beam that's behind the, the goal that holds the, the, the netting it up at the back. The ball cracked against that. So, you know, it was like a sigh of relief, and my body already felt like I was doing like a half-hour workout. Oh, yes. I also felt exactly the same. I felt like, you know, a bit of uh, sweat, you know, yeah. just because I've been so tense. Yeah, so, you know, we were frustrating City more, and... We kind of just ground the result out eventually till the final was sort of, you know, took the win and on to the FA Cup final where we would now meet Chelsea on the 1st of August. Very, very tough game since Chelsea um, actually you know, put, put dispatched Man United quite easily. Yeah, but so- my, my one, before we move on, like, where would you rank this in your FA Cup? semi-finals like you know before the game I pumped myself up uh, watching, watching um, you know the various FA Cup finals and semi-finals and you've seen a lot you know going for Tony Adams I think 93 FA Cup semi-final to you know you've seen it all so where does this rank for you? I mean I think it ranks up to you in the say top three because if if you just take also the, the Man City reputation uh, you know on end of, of what they're capable of. and uh, Also, if you look at the results prior to the game and the, the um, results after the game, which shows they were in a devastating fashion because, look, what was the game of, of a few days ago? 5-0 that they won? Yeah, so, that was against Brighton and then what were they kind yeah. of fans. So it shows you it, it takes a lot just to get them, you know, to, to frustrate them that much. And I think it also took a lot out of the players. I mean, I'm not trying to make too much excuses on that later on. But I think this also, you needed a, a, a full defensive masterclass to kind of bury City because it also showed you that they do have flaws as, as fantastic team that, as, as they are. Because I, I don't know if it was Alan Shearer or somebody was mentioning on, on, on one of the football talk channels like uh, a day or so after. And they were saying, they would have thought like to, to kind of silence City is force them out wide and you're kind of forcing or dictating when they have to cut that ball inside because that was almost like they go to ball every time. And every time they were trying that cut back, cut back, cut back, all up, like as you said earlier on in the podcast, 
you always had some sort of body diving, waiting to block the shot, kind of, uh, you know, almost like getting them delayed, delayed. In the time they're delaying, we were already swarming them. So it was uh, watching a bit like, you know, our main city would play if, if you go all out attack against them. Or if, if the early days also of Barcelona, not that they play like that now, but Barcelona also had that style of play where they would, you know, they have that, that uh, thing that you and I were talking about that time also, that three second or suddenly three, I think it's about an eight second rule where you've got eight seconds to win that ball back. And that is what we were doing every time. And when we were winning the ball back, even though we couldn't go to too, too much position, because look, I think they had a over 70% of position over the course of the game. We just saw to it that the ball was always over in there, off and there to start all over again. Yeah, it was definitely a masterclass, tactical masterclass from Arteta. But, you know, happy to go on to the final pack at Wembley again. Hopefully, you know, we can exercise our demons against Chelsea since of Baku. I mean, I just personally hope that one of the goalkeepers has a sort of shocker like Kepa the other night against Man United. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, uh, I'm just hoping that, yeah, we can put our best foot forward. And, you know, I I even said to myself after uh, losing to, um, I mean, beating City, you know, even if I had to lose, but I would have still been happy with that performance we put up against City. Like, you know, that's the type of performance you want to see a gutsy performance. And if you come out short at the end of the day, you know, it's. It's a lack of the lack of the draw, but yeah. you know, as long as you put in a performance and was happy, extremely happy. I don't know when last you know I felt so so upbeat as a gunner. And I mean, funny enough, uh, as I told you, um, look, everybody wrote us off for the city game, and I was just thinking, look, it's a cup game, anything can happen. As as I told, as I said in the previous podcast, also, nobody gave Wigan that time a chance against the Man City in the final, and. We can saw them off scored early and kind of shut the, shut them out for the whole game. And I mean, City at that point they had also some fantastic players. No, and, they actually they scored quite late in that game with those those like it was in injury time. Yeah, but then um, if you take the, the uh, also with the with the um, Man United Chelsea uh, semi final, everybody was asking also who would I like you know them to play and, and things like that. And I just said, look, if you got yourself so far and you saw off. Chel, um, uh, saw of Man City and, and, and prior to that in the league you saw of Liverpool with where it came off we needed you know to really turn on the, the defence of uh, artistry or mastery then why should you be scared of either of them because look we know uh, if you if you take now say league form we kind of messed it up at the Emirates against Chelsea and Leno in that late era and then um, in that um, the game at Sanford which we ended up scraping a 2-2 draw when we were down to 10 men and if it was even United United we had actually upper hand on them throughout the season they, they, it's not like they really dominated us because we ended up snatching a draw at Old Trafford and we beat them comfortably at the Emirates so I had or I have actually no fear of whoever we now face in the final but look since we know it's Chelsea I go in with that same sort of mindset now going to the final I don't have really a fear of, of them the irony is that we probably will come up against Olivier Giroud and, you know, nine times out of ten, Arsenal fans will probably say, like, you know, we need a better striker than Giroud to lead our line. But, you know, the irony is he could be the biggest threat against Arsenal. So, you know, be careful what you wish for sometimes. But let's hope that we can make this count and, you know, tactically deal with Giroud since he did kind of punish us in Baku. Yeah, 
But I think, you know, somebody uh, like, like Ateta is more of like a, you know, almost like an early day winger type of uh, coach because you see he does his homework on certain players. We look like with Mario's thing. I didn't even really think of that until uh, a person was kind of putting the pieces together of, you know, the the, the tactics or the beans of the old th- story with, with building up to that game. And I think also with, with um, look at, uh, people like Jesus, didn't even make like any sort of real impact in the game because it's almost like he was getting just like a little touch to play the ball off to somebody. I think it, the game would have been way more awkward if somebody like Aguero would have been in there because look, as short as he is, he's going to be a threat aerially, he's going to be a threat with passing and I mean, you all know what he can do when he's shooting as well. Yeah, I know I, I'm 100% in agreement with that so... Thank goodness Aguero was injured, but David Luiz marshaled the back line also very well. And also a big shout-out for me, to personally, Sebayos. He was always snipping the ball from people, intercepting. So, you know, well done to him and all-around brilliant team performance. Yeah, I mean, look, I, you know, at times you do feel someone's guilty when you kind of pick, you know, like kind of picking on a player. But, I mean, I think he also realised that, look, he was cause of a lot, lot of errors in... in, in games as well. But I mean, where I give him the utmost respect, even now, is just the fact that he can actually put up his hand and say, look, I did wrong and I'm going to try to make this right. And I think that should be the attitude with some of the players that sometimes let the team down. Uh, I'm sure if we had Mesut Ozil in this team against City, we would have probably lost. No disrespect to him, yeah. but it just seems that the team has moved past Mesut Ozil now from where we were in 2013 when he came. The big fast you know, as, as a bigger as a bigger fan I am of of, of Gwendozi, I think that's also where that same sentiment you can say like what you just said about Ozil can be said about Gwendozi as well because all of a sudden you see the sort of uh, combination forming between um, Shaka and Ceballos, which I mean, I think this is now which will lead us now to the Aston Villa game. You can see that is kind of what we miss when when Torreira now came in. Who still, I mean, at, at times for me, it, it still looks like he's, I don't know, like he's still short in some sort of aspect. Like, either the game is still going too fast for him than what he can cope with, because in this Aston Villa game, I think a lot of the times he was always, say, one or two steps behind everything else was happening to him in midfield. And it was putting almost like extra pressure on Sebastian to try to bail him out. Yeah, and... And like initially, I thought watching the game, I thought, oh well, we passing nice, passing sleek. You know, is this the the new Arsenal? But then it became very, very, very pedestrian, like side to side type of football. But like you know, going back to Torreira, it just seems like he's not finding his space and yeah. place in the team at the moment. And you know, he, you know, where do you play? Does he work in a a two man midfield, or you know, or is he more of a three man midfield? And is Arteta going to revert back to that again? I mean, what frustrated me somewhat that kind of confused me was um, seeing Arteta use Nketiah as a winger for this game. I still think, um, I, okay, look, there was talk of, I think, either on the day where Rhys Nelson had some sort of groin strain, so they didn't want to risk him in the game, which, you know, I can fully understand. But I just think Nketiah wasn't really... Because, look, you, you can try that in, say, a game where you let him see, I'd say, the last few minutes whatever as a winger. But I mean, to let him start, even against a team like Villa, who already, you could see their mindset, and this has been their mindset the last few matches already of this, where they, um, you know, 
it was like giving opposition and kind of sucker, suckering you into the uh, to a counter attack. But I just think the sort of cutting edge and, and guile you need as a winger, Nketiah does not have that. He's got that that poacher's instinct down the middle. But if you're going to have like a Z, you know, leading the line, a Bamiyang left, I honestly think we should have used other sort of option there on the right. Yeah, I, I agree. I think like a should have been rested. He played two quite high intense games back to back. Nketiah should have possibly led the line with, you know, maybe even moving Saka to the right and then playing someone else. Kolasinac even start, like, could have moved him to left wing back and then, you know, given Tierney another game because I'm sure he would have been ready to go to start. So, yeah, uh, it, it was one of those games where I was watching it, but, you know, your your entire heart wasn't there because of the Liverpool and... and, and and you knew Villa had way more to play for than Arsenal. I mean, maybe tenth game of the season, I would be angry like about the performance thus far in that game. But yeah, that wasn't. But there was a, like a small part of me yes, it felt like. But I think where it also led a bit to some sort of I want to say anger, but like frustration was, you know, as you said, we literally gave up position to. Uh, sorry, we Villa actually gave up position out to us, but we also showed no. Uh, initiative and, and getting into areas to really, you know, hurt him because I think we could if we wanted to. And of course, it was like a lot of, of sideways and backwards passing and for me, and, and I just hope this doesn't lead on to, to, you know, when we do play the final where you have that sort of mentality because for me, the, the, the sort of players that have not come in didn't really give me that much confidence as, you know, like, say, as a backup player because it's really frustrating when you see you you launching yourself in a, in an attack. All of a sudden, you see okay, your avenues are closed, but you don't also see anybody in the team taking that, that initiative of thinking, okay, I'm gonna drive at this team, really run at him. Like if you see of you know the way uh, Jack Grealish was playing, he was dry, you know, it was like lost causes. He was going down those avenues alone. So I'm like, you know, you either with me or I'm gonna do this alone. And the rest of the team of of, of Villa. They were following his, his lead and now they were playing against us when they were getting the, the counter-attacks against us. They were basically putting their body on the line and you could see they were, they were playing for something where this Arsenal side, you, you would expect the guys to be playing you know, for their place in a final, but it just seemed like they were some players were tired and some players, I don't know, just couldn't find the rhythm. Yeah, so I mean, the more the first war, war, war on, um, Arsenal started feeling more nervous. And you could also sense it in the way they were playing because all of a sudden they started getting a bit jittery with the ball so between the in the uh, first half. And then it was like my heart kind of sank when the corner gets played in by Aston Villa. We half clear the ball because, I don't know, some Aubameyang ends up getting distracted by Mings. Mings flicks the ball on. The ball just starts bouncing out. Cedric, of course, gets himself more in the line of Martinez's view, doesn't really attack the players. It was like, between the devil and the deep blue sea standing in the middle there. And he turns his back, and by the time uh, Trezegate lets the rip from outside the box, Martinez really has no chance. I think he just barely just got a, a step to the side, but I mean, the ball was already flying past. Yeah, 1-0 Aston Villa, and you just felt that, you know, they were, they were going to play for their lives and protect that lead, yeah. like, you know, it was their life. Because, yeah, because you knew that it's like an uphill toss that from then on was... They're not going to really open up that much anymore. And, and and since we were more toothless in attack, all the, the forays normally just ended by the edge of the box. 
yeah, it's, it's getting quite frustrating. And you just, as time started wearing on, you just wondered, you know, are we going to score? Do we look like scoring? Or do we actually want Aston Villa to stay up in the Premier League? Yeah, and get uh, Troy Deeney. <laughs> but I mean, on the stroke of halftime, Jack really still needs one of the 25-yard screamers. Also, just narrowly missing, missing the post. Um, at halftime, Arsenal then make a, a sub, which was kind of expected, because, as I said, Torreira seemingly off the pace. Xhaka then comes on to someone try to get a, a foothold in the game. Um, the Arsenal attacks started getting more laboured and rudderless, because I thought to myself, because I don't know if you picked up also um, Aubameyang, you actually heard less and less his name being called out by the commentator as the second half wore on. And, you know, everything was like kind of breaking up, as I said, either in the middle of the park or on the edge of the Aston Villa box. Um, then we got into a period where, I think it was on the hour mark, where, I, you know, Aiden, as, as an Arsenal fan, all my, my, my uh, life, I mean, I didn't know what Arteta, like sometimes you could see, sometimes which way Emery was going, which way Wenger was going with, with tactics. and But we got into a period where he brings on uh, Pepe for David Luiz, and then... Um, Tierney uh, comes on then for Saka. Uh, again, I'm, I'm kind of confused how things are like panning out with, with tactics. And then he like brings off also uh, Cedric and then brings on Willock. And we end up playing, because uh, there was like some sort of aerial shot. It was like two centre-backs on the halfway line. And then you had like almost like five players, I believe, up front. And then you had three midfield <laughs> and Every time they were countering, our players were struggling. I mean, look, you already got some players that played in the in the FA Cup semi-final. And some of them just did not have the legs to track back. And I'm thinking, why are you playing us in a, like a suicidal uh, position now? Because we, we're chasing the, the one goal. But, I mean, you, you've set us so vulnerable now. Yeah, it, it, it didn't make any sense. And it just seemed like we even got more, like, you know, blunt... In the game, and, and Villa looked more like likely to score. I mean, I think it wasn't Ketia's header that came off the post, but for that, I don't think we had a, like any real threats on the Villa no, dog. At, at full time, when the stats came up, there was no shot at goal. And you know, another a good uh, I could tip for our listeners also when you want to see how bad sometimes the, an opponent or a team's uh, attack is, just have a look at the goalkeeper's gloves. Pepe Reina goes. <laughs> And his gloves are still clean. The palms are still clean. So he was really tested in that game. But, I mean, another defeat that leaves us 10th in the league. Our 10th defeat of the season. I mean, a breakdown. You know, for me, some fans are so did get carried away with the whole Arteta ball thing after the Man City game and stuff. I mean, I didn't first say anything to you. But, I mean, now that we're on the podcast, we can you know, discuss. Um, I think, the, like, the positive has shown itself against... Liverpool and Man City, where you can give up position and and kind of eke out a win, you know, pouncing on errors and and also like if somehow the team switches off for a few seconds, like Man City did again, pounce on that as well. But then you can think of the flip side of it, like the negative side of this whole Arteta style of play, where you look at what Spurs did, they accomplished their job against us, where they ended up giving us position and we didn't know what to do. We're running into, like down blind alleys. Um, you know, Brandt was our own goal more than ever and, and playing loads of back passes or side passes. And then the same thing Aston Villa do to us and we had no answer to it. 
You're 100% correct. I mean, if you look at the Wolves game, Wolves came to, like, Wolves were used to the team sitting back. And when Wolves came against Arsenal, you know, they they were kind of confused when Arsenal weren't yeah, attacking exactly. them. So, so, it was something very much similar to what we had happened to Arsenal against Villa. So, you know, we yet to see Arteta playing. A, I mean, he, he's got his tactics right for, you know, playing against... A, let's say, a stronger side or a stronger current side than we have. But we also need that uh, kind of player, I mean, that kind of tactics when, you know, we're the dominant side, you know, how yeah, are we going to approach the game? When you want to be the flat-track bully, you need that sort of performance as well. Whereas, you know, you know, uh, as much as Wenger used to fail, say, against the top teams like, later on in his career, he always used to see that he puts the smaller teams to the sword. Yeah. So something Arteta probably has to work on as his yeah. manager journey goes on. But you know, I I, I was a bit, like, I was really happy with that performance against City and thought, you know, are we turning and you leave? But then you look at the the result against Aston Villa and you wonder, you know, how do we like you mentioned combat this? So it's gonna Arteta has a lot to do still. But the one of the positives is that we saw not rolling over for the bigger teams like yeah. we. We were previously. I mean, we went through at Stamford Bridge with a man down, which you know I take take a very big positive to that. So, you know, we see on we go to to Watford. Is it Watford? We play the weekend. Yeah, play them at the Emirates. Uh, last game of the season. Uh, key players for them uh, has been you know Kapui in as a holding midfielder. Uh, Troigini has been you know solid danger man up front. I mean, of course, he just has nine goals for the season, but solid danger man and. You know, people like Dakore and uh, Cabasele uh, in the defensive mid as well and uh, defender, centre-back, uh, respectively. The two of them also normally kind of, you know, all teams at bay. So, I think we will also have to be on point because there will be a lot to play for because I think they they need even just a draw to stay up and, and anything but that, they will go down. So, I think we really need to kick on, you know, and, and try to dispatch them. You know, almost like not worry about how the whole thing could play out at the bottom of the table. Just see that we can get ourselves as high as possible because right now it's going to also be a case of we have to see that, that you know, teams like Sheffield United and, and um, I forgot, Burnley. Burnley. Yeah. They somehow stumble also along the way now. But you wonder if Arteta is going to, you know, rotate the side a bit since like, is it in a bombing or probably, you know, exhausted and he, he's probably going to want to keep them fresh for the final, so... You'll probably see them probably get the last 20 minutes, in my opinion, but I don't think he's going to risk. You'll probably get an idea of who his players in the final going to be come on Sunday. Yeah, because look, at the, unless something totally miraculous happens, I mean, I don't see us, you know, getting... How can I say? You know, when you look at the sort of form we've been in and, and you know, that in, inconsistency type of thing, because, look, we play Watford, Oh, not sorry, not Watford. We, uh, our points tally can only go up to, what's it, 50, 56. So, yeah, we can't even catch Tottenham or anything like that. I <laughs> so yeah. just hope that Sheffield United and Burnley kind of mess up on the last day as well, besides us doing the business. You know, that, that, that's quite sad. I don't want to be in a position, no disrespect to those clubs, but where we are hoping for Burnley and Sheffield United to mess up. So, we can leapfrog them, you know, hopefully we can move on and end strong and, you know, look forward to the new league campaign. 
But I mean, what was also somewhat of chaos if you think of it, because since, uh, what was it, I think two, two weeks ago, Nigel Pearson, decided, I don't know if he, he confronted the board or something, and he got sacked by the board. And former Arsenal goalkeeper, or backup goalkeeper, Graham Stack, and the youth team coach, uh, Hayden Mullins, they have not taken over as interim coaches of Watford for the last few games. Yeah, it's a very you know weird situation to be in right now. And I think maybe Aston Villa has the upper hand to get themselves out of this mess. Well, I mean, if Aston Villa go down, it would be quite embarrassing if you think they spent all their prize money from getting promoted to buy almost like a, a full full squad, which is I think about 100 million, 150 million, sorry. And I mean, if they even go, if they go down, I mean, it's going to be tough to hold on to any of that players as well. I mean, I wouldn't mind see someone like Tyron Wings in the Arsenal squad. I, I'm sure. I think I'm sure you mentioned it as well. You know, I enviously of Aston Villa in the beginning of the podcast, like of the season yeah. when we never spent and they actually spent money on players so quite early and, with money. <laughs> yeah but but i'm happy to hear that Leeds is coming back up you know it reminds me of the old premier league days you need to get nottingham fighters and go back and you know it'll be even better i mean also big up last night for west prom for them getting the promotion full on track so now it's down to yes uh i mean i, I still tip brentford to maybe get that that final slot i mean of course Fulham will have a big say in it as well. But I mean, I actually hope Brentford, because I would like to see also some sort of different, you know, like a different, have a, you know, have a different team in the, in the Premier League as well. A new stadium to go to, you know, it'll be interesting to, to see that as well. So, yeah, I haven't been too much up to date with uh, the championship, but did, so did Leeds take, they, I know they get automatic promotion, but that, who, who else is the teams joining? Um, West Brom has got that second slot, um, and then it's I think down to Brentford. I forgot if, if Swansea managed to sneak themselves in there as well into a playoff spot, and I think Cardiff were in there as well. So, but I mean, as I said, uh, I don't know if you know there's, there's one Brentford player that we've also been after, he's a, a winger, uh, I think a left winger. I, I just can't get his name right now, but I mean, he's actually like quite a danger man and, and almost like a talisman of Brentford. and also wanted by quite a lot of teams at the moment. And so it would almost be in our favour if they don't get promoted and we can sign him for a cheaper fee. <laughs> okay, you're thinking like Wenger and Cassidis. <laughs> <laughs> so now, as we're now winding the podcast down, we just want to have some uh, talking points. Um, I don't know if you saw, there's been our updated squad numbers. Uh, Bukayo Saka is going to get the number seven for next season and Saliba will be wearing number four jersey. Um, it all coincides with now the, old, the new kit launch for the home and the goalkeeper kit. I mean, the goalkeeper kit I actually quite like. Um, I think I'm probably going to, I might still hold back before getting a, a home kit because I first want to see, you know, what sort of players we, you know, because I'm actually wanting to get again a kit with a, a kind of top player on the on the back. So I'm just waiting to see how that plays out. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm also, uh, I think I skipped the season's, Arsenal jersey, so maybe we would possibly haven't got me a red one in a while, so looking to maybe get one. And then final point, um, after the Aston Villa defeat, uh, Arteta, the CEOs of Arsenal and the sports director, plus oh yeah, the owners as well, um, they also had like a, almost like a, I wouldn't say a crisis meeting really, but they have 
now had a sort of almost like a telephonic and you know in-person meeting where they were talking about the outlook for this the season 2020-2021 and I think Arteta's also now made it clear to them look you they almost like the owners have not seen how far or how far he has taken the squad and now I think the, the, the club and the owner also needs to kind of you know almost like show kind of gratitude as well but also start pumping in a bit of extra cash so that these are at least, uh, you know, some more liquid funds in Arteta's hands to, you know, have, a real, you know, real top targets we need to get. Because, I, you know, I saw we were linked with, with John Stones the other day. And I just think to myself, I still think we need to get somebody that is an actual first team and not somebody that's, that can't be, you know, can barely get the kicker of the of the ball at, at the club that they're at. Because I think, you know, we've had enough of the, no disrespect to those players, but you know, of getting the scraps of people, I want us to get the, the you know, like the creme de la creme of players again. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Almost like you know, getting uh, an Aubameyang type player, or I know he they were all out thing, a thing with him in Dortmund, but like you know, somebody that's still in their prime, you know, yeah. or like you said, we look at us with Mikael Silvestre. Um, you know, no disrespect to him, but yeah. getting these players that. Their clubs don't really want, so it's not like people are fighting. Look at Liverpool when they got Van Dijk. You know, he was a hot commodity and he chose Liverpool. So, you know, yeah. Arsenal need to do something similar. Because I mean, we've always become like a, you know, there's a, there's a whole thing over here, like in Germany, where if you have like um, resources and that over time <laughs> they've run their race and that they can't do it, they get sent almost like to the like a like a sort of farm, whatever way. <laughs> They also can see the years out. And I mean, at times I feel awful <laughs> that we allow to, you know, we're not getting this this full, you know, thoroughbreds. We're getting them almost like on their last legs. And I'm like, yeah, they go there and see yourself out. And I mean, I mean the, the biggest slap in the face is when you think of it. You look at these salaries when they're coming there. And it's like they're in with arthritic legs and whatever. And then they're just, you know, taking over the things. Sorry about the, the heat rod, but okay. Yeah, good, good, some good humor to, you know, end of the talking point. So, yeah, quite a positive note to end off. You know, even though we had that Villa, villain performance against Villa, you know, we have a final to look forward to. Do you have any other talking points for me? Yeah, that will be good from, from my side. Okay. So, guys, enjoy the football, the final swan song for 2019-2020 season. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye guys, it's been a long, odd season, but we almost reached the end. Cheers guys.